You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back to our first conversation that occurred in totality since the draft of 2021 in the National Football League has concluded for our Buffalo Bills. And we have some things to talk about. But by the time you're listening to this, you know about the players. You know about the undrafted free agents. You've already had an opportunity to opine and listen to other opinions on the class. But what I want to talk about today is now that we've had an opportunity to see all the maneuvers that the Buffalo Bills made in the draft, should we really be surprised? Some people were shocked. When the Bills went back-to-back edge rushers, some people were shocked that the Bills didn't take a running back. Some people were shocked that the Bills didn't take a cornerback high. After having an opportunity to digest all of it, I don't think I'm surprised about any of those things. And I'm not entirely sure any of us should be. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how on-brand this particular draft was for the Buffalo Bills. So let's dive in. If there's one thing that we've learned about the type of prospect that Brandon Bean likes to take high in the draft, it is the following. They have impeccable football character, they're a freak athlete, and there's room to grow with their skills. We saw this with Josh Allen. We saw it with Ed Oliver. We saw it with Tremaine Edmonds. Every time... Brandon Bean has had a first-round pick to make. He has picked someone in that mold. So, modern portfolio theory is a way of looking at investments in the market. And specifically, it defines expected return as the return you get on an investment weighted by the likelihood of obtaining that return. You have heard me say before on this podcast that how much you should worry about something is the probability of that thing occurring multiplied by the impact of that thing occurring. Where that comes from is my evaluation of looking at emotions like economics. 
So I'm going to pivot to that from the way that Brandon Bean looks at his return on investment in his draft picks. He says, okay, what's the return I can get on this investment? Would you disagree with me that Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, and Gregory Rousseau all have really high ceilings? Let's start from that assumption. If we can agree on that, then we have one half of the equation necessary. So if we accept that they have a high ceiling, the next thing is the likelihood of them hitting that ceiling. And I've mentioned before that there's a level of organizational arrogance with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, where they believe in their coaches so strongly that they think they can tap into that potential, assuming the prospect has impeccable football character. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have to help old ladies across the street. But football character cannot be questioned in Josh Allen. Football character cannot be questioned in Ed Oliver. Football character cannot be questioned in Tremaine Edmonds. And certainly, football character cannot be questioned in Gregory Rousseau. Read any of the articles that have come out before or since the NFL draft about Gregory Rousseau. And you recognize that if he has impeccable football character and he has a high ceiling, then we shouldn't really be surprised at the type of prospect that Brandon Bean drafted. Okay, well, Bruce, we got the type of prospect, but there were people at other positions that he could have picked. That's true. But let's dig a little deeper. Brandon Bean just watched his team lose in the AFC Championship game and then the team that they lost to go on to the Super Bowl and get really messed up by a good pass rush. That's going to weigh heavily on him. In addition, the entire offseason, Brandon Bean's been talking about affecting the passer. And since... Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott were both hired. It's been established that they believe strongly that the game is won and lost up front. Phrases like it all starts up front, the tip of the spear, won and lost in the trenches. Every good defense I've been around started up front with a good dominant pass rush. All of these phrases we've heard from Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, or both. I mentioned on social media that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott were charter members of the pass rush is more important than coverage debate team. I didn't realize it at the time, but apparently that was a controversial statement. I don't think it is at all. I think that's a blatantly obvious statement based on everything that they've ever said and everything they've ever done. Every single time Sean McDermott rolled out a good corner in Carolina, he was across from a eh corner. They didn't make a significant investment in the corner position in Carolina until after Josh Norman left. But they did take a defensive tackle in Carolina right after they had just spent two high picks on defensive tackles. Because they thought he was the best player on the board. And they were willing to do that, but they weren't willing to invest significant assets in the CB2 position until after Josh Norman left. And they were really trying to fill multiple spots. And they ended up starting two rookies that year. 
They spent on the CB position because they had no choice because they had no bodies. It's pretty obvious to me that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are pass rush over coverage. So if they're pass rush over coverage and they know they have to affect the passer, they're probably going to take an edge over a corner if all things are equal. So the type of prospect that Gregory Russo is shouldn't be surprising. And the position that Gregory Russo plays shouldn't be surprising. I had them picking Owe out of Penn State. I got the prospect wrong. I had the idea right, though. Toolsy, lots of room to grow. But I consistently missed out on archetype. And that's the third thing. Archetype. So they have a particular style of player that they like. So put aside the impeccable football character and significant athlete, room to grow skills, put aside the pass rush over coverage. And now let's add the third piece to this, which is archetype. Charles Johnson, Coney Ely, Greg Hardy, AJ Epinesa. If you constantly date redheads, I think you've got a type. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have a type. I got messed up because I listened to Brandon Bean's pre-draft press conference, which was probably a mistake. And he said explosiveness off the first step was important. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's, that's Oway. But nope, I should have instead looked at what he did, not what he said. Because there are certain times in the cycle of information when it behooves you to lie. The most accurate information you'll ever get from a GM or a coach is when there isn't any reasonable gain to be had by lying. That's when you can say, okay, maybe they're being truthful here. So immediately after the draft, nothing really to gain there by lying. They have a tendency to be a little bit more truthful after the draft than they are before the draft. I'm not saying they openly lie, but perhaps they twist their words a little bit. Strategically provide information so they don't have to lie without telling you the truth either. But Brandon Bean has an archetype. And I should have paid more attention to that instead of his comment about explosiveness off the snap. Because they had a crack at OA. They had a crack for exactly what Brandon Bean said pre-draft was a very important prospect trait, which was explosiveness. They elected not to pick it. Why? It doesn't fit the archetype. Gregory Rousseau, on the other hand, absolutely fits the archetype. 100%. Those defensive tackle, defensive end tweeners, long arms, heavy hands, compression rusher. And I'm not here to say that that archetype is better or worse than any other type of archetype. We've seen people have very significant success with that style of play. Justin Tuck, Jason Pierre-Paul. We've seen players, the Carolina Panthers players come to mind all the time, but I didn't want to use them in this example because I always use them as an example. But players can be effective that way. But that's the type for Brandon Bean. So we shouldn't be surprised by Gregory Rousseau. He fits the archetype stylistically speaking. Impeccable football character, good athlete, room to grow the skills. 
And it fits what we know Brandon Bean wants to do, which is pass rush over coverage, which he said a bajillion times how important up front is to him. And if you think, Bruce, it's just a cliche. Every coach says that. No, that's not, first off, that's not true. Not every coach says that. In fact, there are multiple organizations that have proven to value coverage based on their actions. The New England Patriots clearly value coverage more than pass rush. If you look at the players they pay versus the players they let walk, they usually let pass rushers walk and they pay defensive backs. The Baltimore Ravens do that quite a bit. They pay their nickel corner, Marlon Humphrey, but let Judon walk and Yannick Ngakwe walk. And then they had to draft one, plug him into a system. Ironically enough, they drafted Owe. Plug him into a system, get them free lanes to rush, allow their athleticism to do the thing, and churn and burn. So not every coach says that, and not every organization does that. This one does. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have pretty obviously cast their lot in favor of pass rush over coverage. Google any of their articles about any of their philosophies about football. I did a podcast early on in McDermott's tenure called the McDermott Masterclass, where I specifically talked about the things he believes in philosophically based on behaviors he's done and things he said when he didn't have a reason to lie. And one of them was the game is won and lost up front. He believes that it's won and lost up front versus on the back ends. So if he prefers pass rush to coverage and Gregory Rousseau fits the profile as far as impeccable football character, good athlete, room to grow, and he fits stylistically the type of edge rusher that you like, I don't think we should be surprised by Gregory Rousseau. I think at the time, maybe you might go, oh, okay, wasn't expecting that. But now that I look on it, I shouldn't be surprised. In fact, I'm a little bit embarrassed that I was. For a brief moment, I was like, oh, hmm, that's unusual. But I shouldn't be. I should have known better. And that's what I'm sharing with you today. We all should have probably known better. We should have expected a Gregory Rousseau pick because it totally fits everything we know about Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott up to this point. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're going to talk about more things we shouldn't be surprised by. Stick with me. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Well, we mentioned already why you shouldn't be surprised by the Gregory Russo pick. Now let's talk about other things that happened over the draft weekend that in retrospect probably shouldn't surprise us. Let's talk about taking a cornerback late in the draft who may or may not actually be a nickel. I mentioned that over the course of his tenure in Carolina, Sean McDermott always had a good corner that was across from 
pretty much a get-by guy. The guy was Chris Gamble right into Josh Norman. And then every year, it was a rotating get-by guy on the opposite side. So Sean McDermott has seen success in a defense that didn't have significant investments in the cornerback position. Brandon Bean's mentor, Dave Gettleman, rescinded the franchise tag from Josh Norman and allowed him to walk and go to Washington and didn't want to pay him market contract. How quickly we forget there was some consternation amongst Bill's Mafia that because of all these factors I'm mentioning to you right now, the Bills might not value Tredavious White as one of the top five paid cornerbacks in the NFL. That was a legitimate narrative. And now because the Bills signed Tredavious White, we just forget all the factors that led us to the consternation to begin with. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott don't value that position as highly as I do and some other people in the Bills Mafia do. They're just not going to do it. They might do it if an incredibly talented prospect falls to them and it ends up being a best player available, but Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean don't overly value the position. Kevin Johnson, Josh Norman, Levi Wallace, Dane Jackson. The investment in the position hasn't been significant and the return on investment hasn't been significant. It's been, eh, it's been fine. And they're okay with fine. They're clearly okay with fine. So we shouldn't be shocked that they wait until the sixth round. Because I know that if they draft a corner high, it's probably because it's an obvious best player available pick. And they've been known to do that too. They go BPA if there's no crazy holes. Basham and Doyle were BPA picks. Brandon Bean openly said it. They were the best player on the board at the time. Spencer Brown and Stevenson, when asked about those picks, he said, well, we really want to get a tackle and, you know, we want to get a returner. Want some competition in that room. So those are clearly picks they specifically targeted versus Basham and Doyle, where it was the best player on the board. So they'll mix and match it. So is it possible they could take a corner if it's clearly the best player on the board? Sure, absolutely they could but they're never going to view it as a need enough to pick it. But apparently they did view backup tackle as need enough to pick it. We know when the Carolina Panthers viewed cornerback as need enough to pick it. It was when Josh Norman left and they picked three corners in a row. One of whom James Bradbury ended up being really good. One of whom Daryl Worley ended up not being really good. We saw him pass through Buffalo for a brief cup of coffee last year. There is enough data to openly say, I don't think they value it very much. I made a mistake this year by mocking Tyson Campbell to the Buffalo Bills at 61. I should have just mocked whoever the best player was on the board at 61. And if it was a corner, okay, they're never going to view corner as significant enough of a need. So I mentioned earlier this offseason that the way I feel about tight end is that I'm never going to think tight end is a crazy need. And the reason I'm never going to think tight end is a crazy need is because it's just really rare to get one 
who's dynamic. So you can't really say, well, we really need to get a Travis Kelsey. Well, they don't make Travis Kelsey's very often, so I'm sorry. In addition, the tail is so long on him that you never know. You could have one on your bench who's still developing. In addition, offenses have learned to function pretty well without him. The way I feel about tight end appears to be the way Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean feel about CB2, which is clearly didn't stop us from having a top-ranked defense the first two years, and they're not wrong about that. This Bills defense did have a top-tier defense with Levi Wallace as a starter. So I might disagree with them on the value, but they have a point there. I disagree with it, but they have a point. When it comes to that, that's a valid argument. You could make an argument that the reason why the Buffalo Bills defense took a step back this particular year was because the linebackers were injured for a lot of the year and the pass rush disappointed a little bit more than we wanted it to. And if that's the argument that you would like to make, then where do you think you're going to go out and spend your resources? You're going to spend them on the, the pass rush. And I get it. I would make an argument that the reason for the defense taking a step back is more complicated than that. And that CB2 is a part of it and not being able to run diverse coverages because you have a CB2 who can't turn and run in man coverage has a negative impact on the defense as a whole. But they clearly don't value that. So we shouldn't be shocked that they didn't give us a corner. And we shouldn't be shocked when they go best player available kind of dabbled in to the need picks because we've seen that before too. So let's recap. Shouldn't be shocked at Gregory Russo. Shouldn't be shocked that they waited so long on a CB2. Shouldn't be shocked that they gave a little sprinkling of best player available in with the need picks. In totality, I would say everything that Bean did is an answer to an equation he's already given us. As long as we know how to interpret the data. At this point, there's enough to have a trend. There's enough to have a trend. I think that the longer this goes, the more predictive we're going to be able to be about Brandon Bean next year and the year after. Because I'm not saying he'll never take a corner high. I'm saying if Tredavious White's playing a really good level and they take a corner high, it's probably because it was overwhelmingly the best player on the board. And that's probably the reason why. So it might happen. I'm not saying it's never going to happen. I'm saying if it does happen with those parameters set up, we will know the reason because we've isolated all the other reasons why he does things. This is one of the things I love so much about long-term relationships. I love long-term relationships. I love being married to my wife. One of the best things about being married is knowing someone so well. I've been married for a long time. I know what my wife likes. I know what she doesn't like. I know what's going to make her happy. I know what's going to make her sad. If I see a specific type of stimuli, I know how she's going to react. If I see her furrow her brow or lift her eyebrow or scrunch her nose, I know every little detail because we've been together for so long. It's the same thing with Bill's Mafia and Brandon Bean. I'm not saying people can't change. People can't evolve. Sean McDermott has proven that. He's a markedly better game day coach than he was when he first came along. However, they have preferences. They have priorities. They have likes and dislikes. Pass rush versus coverage. 
Everyone has a leaning. Not every coach is going to think they're equal. They're probably not. Some coaches, some general managers are going to prioritize coverage over pass rush. Other coaches are going to do different things based on your scheme, based on the things we've already talked about with the Ravens versus the Bills. The Ravens think they can manufacture pass rush. So does Bill Belichick. They think they can manufacture pass rush and get free rushers. They don't need people to always, always, always win their match one-on-one. I mean, it's always better than not, but they can manufacture that stuff. So what do you see? You see them let pass rushers walk and sign Marlon Humphrey with Bill Belichick. You see them sign corners, let pass rushers walk. It's kind of what they do. And because of this, we can start to outline the things that our general manager likes to do. And because of that, we get less and less and less shocked when he does things. And so as much as I might pound the table for a CB2 in the draft, Brandon Bean would just look at me and go, sorry, Bruce, that's the way the cookie grumbles. I'm Brandon Bean, Bill's general manager.